feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And tonight, there is word that rallies are being planned ahead of President Biden's visit to Poland. President Biden meeting with the rest of NATO, an emergency meeting in Brussels. And tonight, I want to hear from you as to whether you think any big objectives were accomplished, because I'm not sure if he is ready for this historic moment. Uh, What we are hearing is that there are many people around the world who are saying the U.S. needs to do more and word coming as strikes and heavy fighting reported around the capital of Kiev in Ukraine at this hour. The strikes are intensifying and also around many of the port cities as well. And there is word that a Ukrainian rally will take place in Warsaw as President Biden visits there in just a matter of hours. The rally is designed to demand that NATO impose a no-fly zone or provide Ukraine with fighter jets, as we know, of course, that Poland has offered to send MiG jets, but wanted to send it to Ramstein Air Base, which is an American air base. And so far, the U.S. government has said, no, they did not want to have fighter jets. Meantime, some uh, very uh, scary news coming also out of Mariupol. That, of course, is that town that keeps getting pounded. And tonight, we are hearing that more than 100 strikes took place in the last 24 hours on that small port city. When you look at the images, guys, it is heartbreaking. It is like sheer rubble. Again, it almost looks like a scene out of a movie that you just can't even imagine. And now there are more and more reports that residents are beginning to die from starvation in that town. Because what's happened is the Russians have encircled that town. They have pummeled that town. And 90% plus of the buildings in that town have been destroyed. Think about that. I mean, that is like such an enormous number. And so no food is able to get in. The humanitarian corridors are being blocked. People who are coming in to try to bring them food or any necessities are being shot at. Attempts, there are shootings that are taking place. And this is, of course, where that horrific scene happened at the theater, remember, which was leveled. And it was marked children on both sides. And the Russians, when they saw people trying to get in to save people in the rubble, were shooting at the rescue workers. So they are trying to squeeze this town with everything they have. And right now, nothing is basically getting in or out of Mariupol. And the Ukrainian government saying that people are beginning to, quote, die from starvation in that town. And they are pleading for humanitarian corridors to open up. I can't imagine how horrific it is because they are saying that at this time there's about 100 thousand people that are trapped in that town that was originally about 400,000 and some of them got out Uh, some of them fled right before the invasion many of them were trapped and many are trying to get out with literally 
the shirt on their backs. It is an incredible, horrific scene. And I want to hear from you tonight, given the dire circumstances that we're hearing in a number of Ukrainian towns. And then on the flip side, some great strides by the heroic Ukrainian military. They knocked out, it looks like, a Russian naval ship. According to Ukrainian reports, they knocked out a major naval ship. That's a big deal. You can see even the video. It's like it's like an amazing scene to see this. So they are making also major strides, but the Russians are also squeezing in in other locations. So that's why this was such a key meeting today. And coming up, by the way, in just about 10 minutes or so, we're going to have here on the Rita Cosby Show, former Deputy National Security Advisor to President Trump, Victoria Coates, to give us her take on all of this and what she thinks of the meeting that was supposed to be, quote, a major emergency meeting of NATO. All the NATO countries, all 30 of the NATO countries or so, getting together, saying they were going to do hopefully something groundbreaking. Why, first of all, if it really was an emergency, and I think it is an absolute emergency, I don't understand how you could wait basically about a month to do an emergency meeting. They should have done an emergency meeting months ago when the tea leaves were clearly there. And at this point, they are continuing sanctions. And if you listen to the rhetoric of President Biden, I feel like it's kind of tepid at best. And here's a contrast, because President Zelensky spoke via virtual virtual conference, as he's been doing to like Congress and the Italian parliament and the Canadian parliament. Well, today he addressed NATO. And this may have been one of the most important moments, first of all, for NATO historically. What are they going to do? Because this could be a turning point. Are you going to really load up and give tons of weapons? You know, not necessarily, I'm not talking about boots on the ground, guys. I'm not even talking about the no-fly zone. I'm just talking about giving ammunition, giving maybe some of those MiGs, giving more air defense systems, whatever it is. Are you going to really give it? Because there is a moment now where Ukraine is absolutely making some strides and lots of reports of the Russians really taking a beating within their military in terms of huge numbers of losses of their soldiers. But yet they are also getting squeezed, the Ukrainian people, like getting starved in a town. So it is a dire moment right now. And take a listen. This is President Zelensky pleading with NATO, pleading, please Help us that this could be a turning point. And I am pleading for not just the freedom of Ukraine, but the freedom of the world. Listen to him. I'm not accusing NATO. You are not to blame. These are not your missiles. These are not your bombs that are ruining our cities. Today, we also suffered from Russia's attack with phosphorus bombs, killing adults and children. I just want you to know that the alliance can save Ukrainian lives from Russia's strikes, from Russia's occupation, if we can get all the weapons we need. And then he made a direct plea saying, here's what all of you can do, because, yeah, there is a huge force with NATO. You think about all the major countries that are a part of NATO, U.S. being just one of many of them. And he made a direct plea that just give us a little sliver of what you got and we will win this war. You can give us 1% of all your planes, 1% of all your tanks, 
NATO is yet to show what NATO can do to save people's lives. NATO has yet to show that it can save basically people's lives. Basically shaming NATO, saying, you know what? Step up. If you really are a a group that supports freedom and defense, step up. He also brought up the fact, and I remember talking with a number of you last night here on the Rita Cosby Show, the issue of the Budapest Accords, because you got to go back a number of years where at one point Ukraine was one of the most powerful nuclear nations in the world. And they agreed to give up their nukes with the condition that Russia would not attack and that the U.S. and the U.K. would protect them. And so today Zelensky said, where are you? Where are you? Now Ukraine is alone. We gave up our nukes. We made ourselves vulnerable. We now have no major leverage against Russia. And with the promise that they would not invade, they've already broken that agreement. Why are you not going after them? And that's a great point. Why did we not, as Americans, the minute that they even threatened to go into Ukraine to say, you are breaking an accord that you made years ago. And if you do one ounce, if you lay one like shred of of force on one Ukrainian hair, you are violating a treaty and an agreement that you made years ago. It's not like the Article 5 of NATO, but it was an agreement. It's a bona fide agreement. So why did we give Russians a pass and boy, was that a mass, just a moment that was a disaster potentially for history. To me, that is an unbelievable, horrible, horrible decision. And then Biden was asked, you know, what's going to happen? Basically, there is lots of threats of chemical. There are lots of threats of biological. There are lots of threats potentially of nuclear. The stakes could not be higher. And listen to how he answered. It's very tepid. Again, these are serious things. We're talking about a country that is a nuclear nation that has used chemical weapons on others before. Here he is at this pivotal moment where you've got the leader of this country saying, just give me one percent. We are pleading for the survival of our country and the survival of Europe and the survival of freedom. And Joe Biden sounds like he's taking a stroll through the park. On the topic of chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons, here is his response to that. So you've warned about the real threat of chemical weapons being used. Have you gathered specific intelligence that suggests that President Putin is deploying these weapons, moving them to position, or considering their use? And would the U.S. or NATO respond with military action if he did use chemical weapons? You know, on the first question, I can't answer that. I'm not going to give you intelligence data, number one. Number two, we would respond. We would respond if he uses it. The nature of the response would depend on the nature of the use. Does that sound like someone who's drawing a hard line with a dictator who is clearly talking about nukes and chemical weapons and biological weapons and even his spokespeople are doing the same? Yeah, we would find a response depending on how he did it. It's almost like if there's a minor incursion, we'll find a way to respond to that. It's this sort of lackadaisical style that tonight many people are concerned about. And I want to hear your thoughts 
on what you think of the style of President Biden, the fact that here was this emergency meeting after one month of this country getting pounded and people are literally dying of starvation in Mariupol as we're getting reports tonight. And this is the response that, well, if he maybe uses chemical weapons, then depending on the response, we'll sort of find a way. Does that sound like anybody with a sense of urgency? When we come back, we're going to talk to great deputy national security advisor under President Trump, Victoria Coates, and get her take on how Biden's handled this so far and what the world needs to do now to protect freedom and to protect Ukraine. That after the break on The Rita Cosby Show. It's The Rita Cosby Show. Breaking news. Now, the latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And tonight here on the Rita Cosby Show, some new numbers coming in. According to the Ukrainian army, they are reporting taking down 130 troops, nine tanks, six infantry fighting vehicles on the eastern front in the last day. That is great news to hear that. And they're also saying that their operational tactical group east has repelled five separate attacks by Russian forces all on today's date. So some pretty big moves that are happening from the Ukrainian forces. Again, we saw those images of that ship that they say that they took out. So could the Ukrainians win this fight for freedom? I think we got to give them everything we can to help them. And that is what Zelensky was pleading today to NATO and, of course, President Biden among them. But so far, No big dramatic moves in terms of the military hardware, as Zelensky says, they are getting cornered. Well, joining us now to talk about all of this and if President Biden is up to the task is the great former deputy national security advisor under then President Trump, Victoria Coates. Uh, You know, Victoria, I'm so glad you're with us and I want to get your take um, first off, on what you make of it, here's Zelensky pleading Victoria and saying, you know, give us just 1% of your military weaponry, NATO, each of your countries. We will be able to win this. And no response, basically, from NATO in terms of the military hardware, at least nothing public. Well, thank you, Rita. It's great to be with you, as always. I I would just say, here we are now talking about this military invasion of Ukraine in terms of months, when what Putin sold was in terms of hours. So we have a dramatically different picture than we had in February. And the Ukrainians have shown that they will put it all on the line. I mean, their their skin is literally in the game. And I think the United States, without putting boots on the ground, can do an enormous amount to help them. And the problem we have is that this administration seems to lurch from MIGs to javelins. There's no plan. So what I would ask for is what's our plan to help them win in the next 90 days? I mean, we've, we've taken it from hours of Russia dominating Ukraine to months of the Ukrainians demonstrating their will to fight. What's our plan? Absolutely. And you know what we I feel like, Victoria and everybody, we're talking to Victoria Coates, former deputy national security advisor under then President Trump. And, you know, I feel like also, as you point out, it is the sort of rudderless and they're very reactionary. 
it's like, okay, well, this happened. Maybe this is how we'll react. And and also telegraphing. I brought up the example right before you came on of and I thought about it today when I heard President Biden saying if he uses chemical weapons and then, then we'll respond depending how he uses the weapons. It was so kind of like lackluster without any spine in it, without any bite in it. And it was almost like, well, if he does a minor incursion, then maybe we won't do. It just doesn't feel like there's anything there that has any teeth to it that sends a message to Vladimir Putin, back off. No, and the response on the chemical weapons today was much, much worse. I mean, it was it was absolutely the equivalent of the minor incursion. It was if he uses chemical weapons, we will respond in kind. And I was on set for a fellow network of yours, and all of our eyes got big. Like, did he just say he would use chemical weapons? I mean, that's the first thing you take off the table. Uh, And it, it, it was remarkable. So he didn't even seem to know what he was talking about. And it brought back memories from 2013-2014 when President Obama was so unforceful about the use of chemical weapons in Syria by Assad, which just led to more use of chemical weapons in Syria by Assad. And so you know, if, if you do not respond forcefully to these kinds of provocations, it just, it just invites more. And so I'm deeply concerned by what by what President uh, Biden just opened the door to tonight. Yeah, that's a great point, actually, Victoria. You're right, because he basically said, we'll do the same thing back. And again, you know, it's interesting. Again, it's a reactionary sort of the same thing. Like we're <laughs> like it feels like Putin is sort of leading the charge in this, if you will. And NATO's sort of following and saying, well, how are we going to react to this move as opposed to putting him in a corner and leading the charge and blocking him. And I don't feel any of this authority in terms of let's take control of this and let Putin know he, he needs to back off. Here's what we need to do. Here's what there, there doesn't feel. It feels lackluster in terms of leadership. What are your thoughts? No, and, and that's that's what's disturbing. And, you know, the president said today the most important thing is to have unity in NATO. OK, you know, that's an abstract I mean, I'm all for NATO being unified, but that's not an alternative to American leadership. And I just would go back to the point that I think everyone from Vladimir Putin on down needs to know that the United States has a plan for this. And we have so many tools. What's really intensely frustrating right now is I look at the administration and we see what has happened to the Russian economy over the last month which has been devastating. And we could we could turn that up to 11 by implementing secondary sanctions, by uh, formally sanctioning their entire energy sector. Just I mean, take them down and say, this is what's going to happen to you. And this is a very important message to send to our friends in Beijing as well. We can do this. We are dominant on the financial, financial sector. Absolutely. And, then, and, we're, and we're at a moment, Victoria. Don't you feel that? I feel like if you look at the war and the fact that the Ukrainians, as you point out, you know, it was supposed to be so quick. And now here we are a month later and they are really giving the Russian military a run for their money. 
and we're not even giving them all the ammo to really do it. If I mean, there's 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 sort of I feel like this moment that it could go either way, and it didn't certainly feel like that on day one. No, not at all. And and the last point I'd want to make is then we have the energy sector, and I would put the agricultural sector now into that that category as well. Areas where the United States has massive capacity, you know, and and Jamie Dimon, of all people, was at the White House this week begging the president to do a Marshall Plan for energy. So all of the above. Let's let's just unleash all of it. I agree. Full throttle. This this is what we can do that will totally defang Putin. And also help our allies, as well as fueling us here at home. So this is we, – we have all of the tools at our disposal. It's so disappointing that the administration doesn't seem to want to use them. thousand percent. Absolutely. Well, Victoria, thank you so much. Victoria Coates joining us here, former Deputy National Security Advisor. Great to have you here on the show, Victoria. Thank you. Look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Rita. Thank you so much. When we come back, everybody, I'm going to take your calls. 1-800-848-9222. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, which I love, where we always honor our men and women in law enforcement, a story coming out of Taylorsville, Utah, uh, about a mom who is crediting a police officer for saving her life during a house fire this week. Kristen Webster lives not far away from the police station, and that is good because after fire broke out after around 11 a.m. one day, she woke up after she was napping and realized that there was a fire going on in her home. She didn't even hear the fire alarms until her dog woke her up with relentless barking. So she opened her upstairs bedroom door briefly, and then she called 911. She said, there was just so much black smoke, I could not see anything. Luckily for her, Sergeant Ryan Carver was in the area on a nearby call, also near this police station, and rushed over to find her yelling from the bedroom window. He just yelled, get out, get out, get out. And she said that I got, I said, no, I can't, I can't. I have my dog inside, I can't. But he actually was able to kick the door down. He gave three kicks to boot the door down, something that he has done in the past, got her out, and then got her to safety. And then... Sure enough, he went back into the burning house to save the dog. And tonight she is saying that she is so thankful, of course, that he not only saved her life, but also her furry companion. And it's a great story, of course, of the heroism and the kind of calls that our law enforcement officers go on every single day. Well, we are taking your calls as we're talking about the situation in Russia, Ukraine. Today, I think this was one of the most important meetings of President Biden's political career. And he's had a long one, as you know. He's been in Washington a long time. But this was pivotal, not just pivotal for him, pivotal for Ukraine, pivotal for NATO, pivotal for the world. And so Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, was pleading to the National Security Council via, of course, video link, Um, This guy's amazing. I mean, here he is doing all these different press conferences everywhere. I mean, it's extraordinary. You know, he's got 40 
plus assassins that are apparently like armed and skilled with teams. So we're talking many more than that, but sort of these teams of, you know, high-tech assassins like you almost see in Mission Impossible. Those are the kind of ones that are out to get him and try to kill him right now. And yet, think about the courage of this guy. He is out there. And he's like, I'm talking to NATO. I'm talking here. I'm meeting with this person. I'm doing that. He said he is not afraid and he is fighting for his country and sending what a powerful message to the world. And he's begging and saying, listen, just give us NATO 1% of your planes and your tanks. If each of you would give us 1% of your planes and your tanks, we would win this war. We are on the brink right now where we could win this war. And they've had some great success. So here he is desperately pleading, desperately. And so, you know, here's President Biden comes out, does a press conference, and you would think what he would be talking about is here's the military hardware we're going to give them because that's all that matters right now. That's everything, every like word out of Zelensky's mouth, understandably. And boy, I'd be doing it. It'd be every 10 words out of my mouth. Believe me, if we were in that situation where you were cornered and suddenly somebody came into your country and was taking over and, you know, not even allowing humanitarian corridors and bombing and shelling. Everything is get us military. We need this. We need a plane. We need service to air missiles. We need this. We need this. We need here's the laundry list. And what does Biden come back with? No, the greatest accomplishment is our cohesiveness, our diplomacy and our teamship in NATO as if that's what Putin wants. You know, that that's going to dissuade Putin for one. And as if that's going to inspire Zelensky, he's like, get rid of that gobbledygook. I need a plane. Give me a surface-to-air missile. Give me something. I don't need unity in NATO. That's not going to help me as they're being slaughtered by the Russian military. Take a listen. Here's what Victoria Coates was just saying, that you know Biden seemed to be touting as the big accomplishment of an emergency meeting of the team's, basically the teamwork of NATO. Take a listen. Putin was banking on NATO being split. My early conversation with him in December and early January It was clear to me he didn't think we could sustain this cohesion. NATO has never, never been more united than it is today. Putin is getting exactly the opposite of what he intended to have as a consequence of going into Ukraine. So does that sound like, oh, yeah, here's a guy who's talking about using maybe chemical or biological or nuclear weapons, and he's going to be intimidated with him saying that we all get along so well on NATO. Like, that's really the message that needed to come as the big accomplishment of the day. And then the other thing that was really bizarre, here it is, and listen, people ask different questions, you know, and and I don't begrudge him for bringing up the topic because he was asked the question. On the other hand, you're at a NATO summit talking about the survival of Ukraine as people are dying of starvation, as children and women are being slaughtered, and as there are poundings of civilian targets. There could not be a more serious moment and pivotal moment in leadership where you got to keep your eyes on the prize. Here's what we're going to do to help Ukraine. Here's how we're going to help them win this war. Here's what we're going to do. And so the reporter asks him a political question. And I'm just going to tell you, I have been in many a presidential briefing, many a briefing, where if a president didn't want to answer a question or thought it wasn't the right moment to talk about something, all you have to say is, you know what, that's a political question. We are here. He could have actually kind of like shamed the reporter and said, you know, we are here to talk about, 
you know, something as serious as basically world peace. I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to talk about that. But he seemed more than happy to talk about it, which to me was so inappropriate. Take a listen to this exchange. And uh, there are widespread concerns in Europe that um, a figure like your predecessor, maybe even your predecessor himself, might uh, get elected president again. Um, So um, are there any steps, anything uh, you are trying to do and NATO is trying to do here these days to prevent what you're trying to do uh, becoming undone two years from now? I don't think you'll find any European leader who uh, thinks that uh, I am not up to the job. Um, And I mean that sincerely. It's not like, whoa, it's that's that. The point is that when the first G7 meeting I attended, like the one I did today, was in Great Britain. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And one of the one one of my counterparts, colleagues, head of state said, for how long? For how long? And so I don't blame I don't I don't criticize anybody for asking that question. But uh, uh, the next election, I'd be very fortunate if I had that same man running against me. He seems more angry about President Trump than he does about Vladimir Putin. He seems like he's tougher about his feelings on Trump than he is on Vladimir Putin. And do you honestly believe what he just said is that I really wonder if you'll ever find a European leader who doesn't think that I'm up to the task? In other words, I am the epitome of leadership. Whoa, you just heard it. Whoa, oh yeah. Are you really believing that hogwash? Are there people out there, even, you know, Macron and Trudeau, I bet you the minute he leaves the room, they're like, is that guy cognizant or what? You think that he's, they're actually saying, God, that guy is the beacon of leadership. That was Churchill who just walked out. I don't think there's any confusion. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Marty who is on line four. Go ahead, Marty, your thoughts about all this. How are you, Rita? Good. Yeah, but I'm really worried about Ukraine, and I am worried because this president doesn't seem like he is galv- He's not galvanizing himself. He's certainly not galvanizing the world. And I think, sadly, he is so reactive and so docile in his response to Ukraine. And it makes me think, gosh, I sit there and go, Gosh, these poor Ukrainian people, had he been much more proactive months ago, even I would I'll even give him this, Marty. If he had been much more proactive weeks ago, I think we'd be in a very different situation. What are your thoughts? Well, I think what they're trying to sell is something that there's a unity within NATO that's uncompromised. However, they're willing to sit by and watch a whole a whole section of uh, of Ukraine get demolished, not do anything about it. So where's the humanitarian there? And the other thing is, is is that they're not doing anything. They keep talking about it, but they're not doing anything to to win this. You know, they're so worried about this guy, you know, hitting a nuclear button. But meanwhile, they got him in talks with Iran about nuclear weapons and stuff or, or whatever. It it's just a bunch of ludicrous things going on. And I don't understand. I truly believe that. If they continue the way they're going, we look weak. NATO looks weak. And it's just it's it's not a good picture. And you're letting these people get demolished over there. I agree. It's only about a time. He's going to win. He's going to win if this goes any longer. I had somebody say, you know, we got 45 days is when we stopped getting oil from them. Why wasn't it the same day? 
Right. How is that sanction put off for 45 days? Yeah, how, right. How could it be an emergency? Uh, you know, you think about an emergency is what is happening every minute in every city, basically, of Ukraine, to your point, Marty. You know, so, yeah, right. Like, what is how? Uh, and then what's amazing to me, you know, I see Biden coming out of his limousine, you know, the moment I was I was awake, you know. Um, You know, I was wide awake last night. I was watching him in the wee hours of the morning, you know, coming out on his in his limousine. And then I see the head of NATO coming out in his limousine and they're all kind of like the photo ops and all those moments. And yet, you know, what did they accomplish? Think about, you know, if this was the result of it, they should have just, you know, phoned it in. You know, they should have made it a five minute phone call if this was the end results. To me, it's an insult at a time where a country is being slaughtered and begging for military hardware that they don't even make that a headline. The headline is him taking a jab at Trump or saying NATO's unified. Do you think that you think that, you know, that brings any peace to the people in Mariupol or Odessa or Kiev that are getting pounded tonight? Oh, thank goodness. Don't worry that we're getting pounded because NATO's unified. That's really the that's really the fighting fire with fire, Marty. Really they bombing them all day long. Yes. And they're not only bombing them they're bombing the ways that people can get out. You know, they're, they're going after civilians. Yes, it's horrible. You know, it, that's why I'm it, saying, and where is, you know, Marty, I feel, and, and you guys all know me, I, I speak out my mind and how I feel. I feel I and you, Marty, are 20 times more passion. I've heard more passion out of you. Um, and I feel more passion in my, in my soul, and I hope it comes across to you guys, for the people of Ukraine and for the fight than I have heard the whole time of President Biden. I mean, there's nothing where he's like pounding his fist and saying, no more, the world will not stand, you know, this, this moment of freedom for this country. And meanwhile, they're just getting leveled and they're going, help, 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 help. And he's bragging about the unity of NATO. I mean, what a bunch of gobbledygook. Yeah, really. I got one other point that I like to make. If they keep threatening him with, with with war crimes and all this other stuff, instead of going after him, all they're doing is putting the rat in the corner. When that rat gets in the corner, he may take people with him. If he truly believes that they're going to execute him and take him down, he's not going to leave too very friendly. I'm telling you right now. Oh yeah, I agree. He's no. If they if it does get to that point, the thing is, Marty, that takes a long time. That process takes a long time. Um, and they're also going after, by the way, what uh, and Marty, thank you very much for the call. That was a great call um, and a powerful call, too. And I feel your emotion, too, because I feel the very same way. But that takes a while. And they came out, in fact, in the last 24 hours or so, saying that they are investigating and basically officially declaring that not just he, but also the Russian military essentially is performing war crimes. And that's, look, to me, that would have been like, duh, that's like first day. Yeah, I think when they hit that theater, every anybody who pulled the trigger or had anything to do with that theater, what was marked children, clearly that was a war crime. Um, they should have come out and they should have said never again. And they should telegraph if you had anything to do with that call, not just if you were taking orders from Vladimir Putin, but you, you will be behind bars. We're going to track you down. Anybody on that chain of command. And they need to be so aggressive. But that takes still a while because guess what? I think about Slobodan Milosevic. That was a very famous case where he was declared a war criminal, taken to The Hague eventually. They were looking for him everywhere. Some of his people finally turned on him. U.S. troops also, they helped get him, brought him to The Hague. It was still a long time. And he died at The Hague. 
but he was there for a long time. That's a long process. And guess what? Ukraine doesn't have that much kind of time. Let's go to Al also, who is on line six. Go ahead, Al. Your thoughts about all this. Yeah, Rita. Uh, first, congratulations to you on being an American patriot, unlike Biden. Uh, Rita, unfortunately, history repeats itself. The plea by the Ukrainian President Zelensky is reminiscent of the sad, sad plea for help and mercy by Ethiopia's Haile Selassie before World War II, for help against the merciless invasion by Italy's Mussolini with a mechanized army, with tanks, etc., against Ethiopia's army on horseback, and the sad scene of Haile Selassie begging the League of Nations for help against these aggressors, and it falling on deaf ears. And as far as the Western uh, countries, NATO is weak, is a loser, and unfortunately that's what we're stuck with right now. What do you think? You know what? That is really sad. I, I feel a little bit of what you're saying, although I do feel there's this moment now, Al, um, that— the Ukrainians could turn it around. I mean, I was very honest and early on, Al, and I hear you're that's a, a very dramatic and I know exactly, you know, the story, of course, of Haile Selassie um, and history, of course, what happened with that case. But I sit back and at first, I'll be honest, I really thought it was a David and Goliath fight. I absolutely thought the Ukrainians had the heart. Don't count them out. But I was saying, oh, maybe it's one percent or two percent that they could win just because you look at the numbers. But boy, they have the heart of steel. And if there are enough people, even those within NATO, who are saying, hey, you know, we'll give the S-300s. Um, and in fact, in the next hour, we're going to play a little bit because we did a panel today, by the way, with Slovakia and the the consul from Slovakia. There's a discussion. They haven't handed it over, but there's enough people who want to try to give some military hardware. There's discussions about it, at least, because they see a moment, too, and they realize the repercussions because he may not end up just in Ukraine, even if it's for their own self-survival, too. But also they feel it's the right thing to do. But I, I hope I'm right, Al. What do you think real quick? You're, you're absolutely correct. There was a, uh, a famous uh, army led by a guy named George Washington. <laughs> they said he could never beat the British, and he brought the British down with a— revolutionary army of American patriots. And so, as you pointed out, anything can happen when they have the kind of drive, the kind of belief in freedom that the people in uh, the Ukraine have. And, and anything is possible. God bless, kiddo. Oh, God bless you. And thank you, Al, for your sweet words and for your great patriotism and love of America. When we come back, we're going to continue with your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. You just heard Al and I say, hey, listen, there is a chance that Ukraine could turn this around. But guess what? We got to give them the hardware. They are pleading. What are we waiting for? What is NATO waiting for? Get off your butts. Do what you can. This is a moment for history. This is the Rita Cosby Show. Well, I'll give it beast of burden because that does remind me of Vladimir Putin in many, many ways. And he has been a burden, I think, to the world and well beyond a burden, a terror to the world. 
And as they are pleading in Ukraine, please help us. This is a moment. Give us 1% of your tanks. Give us 1% of your planes. Just give us a little bit of what you got. We are on the precipice of turning this around, so much so that they actually got a Navy ship. That's a really big deal. And there's been a lot of these new reports in the last day or two of these major counter offenses done by the Ukrainian people. Who would have thought that? Al and I were just talking, who called in, and I loved Al's call. And um, we were just talking about, you know, in history, yes, there are these moments where there's obviously a David and Goliath, and, and the odds are usually, of course, on the Goliath. But if you have a heart of steel and a warrior's heart and you can get some military might to help you, that's a really good combination. So I think the world owes it right now to the Ukrainian people to hurry up and step up. And we can't give them 1% of our military hardware to protect his country and protect not just his country, but freedom around the world. And in fact, There was a report that somebody from the Duma there, the Russian Duma, the leader, was threatening basically in the last few days Poland, saying, you know what, you know, um, there may be some things happening in Poland that, you know, if you interfere, if you do anything, if you help, well, you know what, then maybe there might be something that happens to Poland. I mean, they're just like throwing it all there on the table And the best that Joe Biden can do is talk about how wonderful and unified NATO is and how bureaucratic the process is. You think any of this is helping Zelensky, who is pleading for survival? To me, this is outrageous. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Elena Antinek. Elena, your thoughts. Go ahead. Good evening, Rita. Good evening, my dear. How are you, Elena? Very well, thank you. Let me share my uh, two points with you. One of them is from the heart. Your roundtable panel today was exquisite. Thank you, Elena. Thank you. And by the way, in the next hour, we're going to play some samples a little bit from everybody. Just to bring everybody up, we had the consul general from Ukraine to New York who was there. And we also had the consul general from Poland to New York, also there. We also had from Slovakia and also Estonia. It was powerful. And we had a a wonderful New York City councilwoman, too, who's Ukrainian-American. And all of that combination, I I thought, and to hear Elena, the consul general, of course, of Ukraine, saying that every day he tries to get a hold of his son, who's there in Kiev, and just his heart, you know, is pounding, praying that he's going to pick up the phone, not knowing if he will that day, because it's just everybody is just praying for their family and and doesn't know what's the future of their country. Um, But thank you, Elena. It was so important. And we're going to play some clips because, you know, we have to do whatever we can to bring attention to the great needs of the people there. Rita? Go ahead, Elena. Okay. I just want to say to complete my first point that your international diplomacy skills are really shining. Well, you know what? Compared to Biden, <laughs> I look like a shining star, right? There and you by go. the way, you're absolutely right. And by the way, Elena, I think you do too because you are always so <laughs> on it. You. The two of us could solve this. Can you imagine? We could, would be a powerhouse team. And I bet you, Elena, we would not talk about the strength of NATO. Between the two of us with our good Slavic genes, we'd be like, heck yeah, bring those surface to air, triple it. I'd say double it, triple it, quadruple it. 
Elena, thanks so much. And everybody, we're going to continue your calls after the break on The Rita Cosby Show. Feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is The Rita Cosby Show. Latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And some breaking news tonight and some very disturbing numbers coming out of Ukraine on the impact of Russia's brutal invasion. They are continuing to strike civilian targets now that the war on Ukraine incredibly has entered its second month. Today was officially the one-month anniversary, and many buildings, particularly in the port city of Mariupol, have been reduced to rubble. And it is being described as an apocalyptic catastrophe. And if you look at even the images from satellite, it is amazing to see the before and after. Before, it's this beautiful port city, gorgeous, tall buildings. They had some malls. They had some beautiful churches. Um, it's like a stunning, beautiful old European city. And then now you contrast it and you look at it and it is basically a pile of rubble. And they believe anywhere from 80 to 90 percent of the buildings are leveled, are destroyed, inhabitable. It will never be the same again. And there were 400,000 people In that port city, in that pivotal city that is basically at the top of what is sort of a land bridge, if you look at it from a strategic military standpoint for Vladimir Putin, that's why he wants that, because he wants to be able to connect that land bridge, that area, into Crimea and then go into like Odessa. So he has this sort of whole land loop of the southern part of Ukraine. And then he would be able to basically block anything coming in from that whole side of the country. And that's why that city for him is strategic and it is critical and they are not surrendering. And in fact, even despite being bombed and pounded, I just think of the incredible guts of the Ukrainian people. That place, they are now dying of starvation. There are reports from the Ukrainian government tonight that they are dying of starvation in Mariupol because they can't get anybody in to bring them food. They're being shot at, some of the convoys that are coming in trying to bring them food. They've had no electricity. They've had no water. They have had nothing They are basically being held hostage for all intents and purposes, 100,000 people. And now many of them are dying because they can't even get basic food to them. This is the way the Russians institute war. It is ugly. It is brutal. It is without mercy. And this just needs to stop. And so far, we've had a president who's been like kind of tiptoeing through the tulips. And this is not a good time to have a lackadaisical American president at a time where this is pivotal. And now we are getting reports also through U.N. agencies that 4.3 million Ukrainian children, that's right, million, have been displaced. Think about that. 4.3 million in just one month's time. They believe that 10 million Ukrainians overall have been displaced, 10 million plus. 
6.5 within the country, then another 3.5 basically going to many of these outlining these other countries, many of them going to Poland, many of them going to, you know, a number of these other countries right on the border area. And now we're hearing that the victims of it in particular, many of them are millions upon millions. Think about that. 4.3 million kids now displaced as a result of one month of war. And tonight they are starving to death in the city of Mariupol. What are we going to do? And what is the world going to do? It is getting worse and worse and worse. They are shooting at food convoys coming in to the city. They're not allowing them to turn on the electricity. They're not allowing them to turn on the, you know, the lights. They can't even cook and they can't even get like morsels. And they're saying that people are actually, like when it was raining, they were actually happy because they were able to, like, get water from puddles. That is how bad the situation is. This is 2022, guys. This is horrific. And our president in NATO is talking about the unity of NATO. They're talking about the cohesiveness, the, the bureaucratic gobbledygook that is not saving lives when Zelensky is pleading for help and saying, we are still winning in some parts. They're saying, we can win this. We're close. We're right there. Help us. Give us some military might. And so far, all our president is basically saying, well, we're going to increase the sanctions. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And he did address today that, yes, there may be food shortages as a result of what's happening in Ukraine around the world. What about the food shortages or the lack of food that's happening in Mariupol? Take a listen. Here is our president today talking about the impact, not just in Ukraine, but around the world as a result of this war. With regard to food shortage, yes, we did talk about food shortages. And uh, and it's going to be real. The the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. And then... They were saying, well, what's going on? What are you doing? It's the obvious question to ask him. There he is at this emergency meeting at NATO. And by the way, he's going to soon be on his way there into Poland, where apparently there are rallies of people saying, give them more weapons in Ukraine. The Poles want to help. Help us help them. So that's going to be an interesting moment. He's going to be standing next to President Andrzej Duda, who I know very well of Poland, standing side by side with him. It's going to be an interesting news conference. Hopefully he won't laugh like Cackles was doing last week. Remember? That was a classic, you know. But that's going to be a powerful moment to see him there standing next to somebody who really is a fighter for freedom. And I'm talking about Andrzej Duda. Think about the guts of the Polish people have taken in 3.6 million at least you know, uh, of uh, various people, and particularly over 2 million so far, plus of Ukrainian refugees. That's an extraordinary number, and that is an amazing number. And in the middle of all this, they're saying, the reporters are saying to President Biden today, what are you going to do so far? Will you basically concede that what you've done has not stopped Putin? You haven't done anything that's basically deterred him. You haven't done anything. Don't you feel like you need to come up with a new strategy? That was a mild question. You can imagine if I was there, I'd be like, Mr. President, they are begging for help in Mariupol. What are you going to do? I mean, he, it was like, uh, 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 uh. And here is what he had to say. They asked him, do you need a new strategy, basically? Don't you concede that this strategy of sort of reactionary sanctions is not really effective? 
Take a listen to this exchange. Sir, deterrence didn't work. What makes you think Vladimir Putin will alter course based on the action you've taken today? Let's get something straight. You remember, if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. The maintenance of sanctions, the maintenance of sanctions, the increasing the pain and the demonstration why I asked for this NATO meeting today is to be sure that after a month we will sustain what we're doing, not just next month, the following month, but for the remainder of this entire year. That's what will stop him. So, in other words, it will sustain, but it won't deter. Meanwhile, they're saying, stop the bombings. Our people are starving to death. And he's thinking, oh, we'll just kind of take our time. And eventually, maybe these you know sanctions will kick in and sort of have an effect at some point. But that's a far cry from his own vice president, who not that long ago said the reason for sanctions, she said that it was to stop Vladimir Putin from going into Ukraine. Take a listen. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. But let's also recognize the unique nature of the sanctions that we have outlined. These are some of the greatest sanctions, if not the the, the strongest, that we've ever issued. As I articulated yesterday, it, it is directed at institutions, in particular financial institutions and individuals, and it will exact absolute harm for the Russian economy and their government. Do you feel like this administration sort of throwing darts like, uh, maybe it's a deterrent. Oh, maybe it isn't a deterrent. Oh, maybe we should react this way. Here's a little bit more of what Kamala Harris said about sanctions and why they're in place. We strongly believe, and, and remember also that the sanctions are a product not only of our perspective as the United States, but a shared perspective among our allies. And the allied relationship is such that we have agreed that the deterrence effect of these sanctions is still a meaningful one, especially because, remember also, we still sincerely hope that there is a diplomatic path out of this moment. Diplomatic path. Is there anybody right now who thinks that Vladimir Putin, who, by the way, his military guys are not returning calls from our Pentagon, that was also coming out today, that apparently, first of all, Vladimir Putin is not returning Biden's calls He's saying, I, you know, you're not relevant. You know, this is not important. I don't need to take your calls. He's talking to Macron. We know that. We know he's also talked to Erdogan and he's talked to a number of others, but he's not taking Biden's calls. That shows that lack of like sort of thought of that this guy's a player in this deal. And also now we're getting word that the U.S. military through the Defense Department, that Milley, the General Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, has been trying to reach out to some of the senior guys in the Russian military, basically to say, hey, listen, what's the strategy that you're talking about with these nukes? What are you talking about with this chemical kind of like military to military, which often happens even when people are at war? And guess what? They're not calling them back either. So, boy. Joe's policy of sanctions really is working at a time where we have a modern-day Hitler. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Francis, who's on line seven. Go ahead, Francis. Now, in World War II, the Polish, after they had been overrun by the Nazis, the Polish
Jewish pilots who were very, very, very efficient joined the RAF. 147 Polish pilots fought in the Battle of Britain. And guess very what? That part, of the, part of the Kazushko squadron, right? Is that what you're talking about? The, uh, yes. 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 See, yes. Do, do I know my Polish history, Francis? And, and by the way, the Polish pilots were really great. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, they couldn't, the others, you know, couldn't understand what they were saying and they were speaking in Polish. So it actually was extremely effective. And also the Poles, you probably know this, Francis, helped break the Enigma Code. That was that actually was very pivotal. They and the Brits together, but a big Polish first off broke the code. So they were able to determine where the ships were coming and what the movements were of the Nazi troops. So I'm proud of those good Polish genes, Francis. Go ahead. Now, when whatchamacallit, the people, all of every people, regular people, not them, not the governments in all of the countries, Poland, Romania, Czechoslovakia, Estonia, everyone is very, very much on the side of the Ukrainian people. It's like with the Battle of Britain. If the Polish pilots could get to these countries and fly back, even under the guise of using military planes to transport food and medicine, once they can get to the Ukraine, the planes can be refitted for fighting purposes, because the people like at Dunkirk, everyone mobilized to bring the British back across the English Channel. They used yachts, they used every kind of small fishing trawlers, everything. If we could mobilize every person and help the people to get the food to the people in Ukraine and use those planes, it's like they smuggled bicycles over the border with the idea of carrying a couple of things. Meanwhile, they had the bicycles. It's the same thing with the planes. If you could use the planes to bring in the food, the planes could be refitted for fighting purposes because everybody is sympathetic. Everyone wants to give money. Everyone wants to give support. And if the Ukrainian pilots could get to these countries and fly these planes back under the guise of bringing supplies, the planes could be refitted for fighting purposes. Francis, I love what you're talking about. And I also like the idea, and thank you for the call. That's a that's a great call, Francis, and, and your sentiments are great, too, because you're right. They could actually bring them in. And I also think they don't telegraph it. They should just be doing it. They should have done this, Francis, I contend, months ago. Think about had they really done that months ago, just kind of brought it in on bikes, planes, whatever it was, you know, you know, looking like even obviously getting humanitarian because, boy, do they need it now, too, but also getting military hardware brought in without telegraphing it to the world that it's coming. Just get it in. Don't make a public debate of the MiGs. Bring them in somehow. Just do it. But now they've made it such a big public spectacle and Biden's made it such a controversy and has been so vocally against it that now it's like they're looking for it. Remember, they hit that airfield where they're doing work on some of the MiGs, where they might do some of the, you know, repair work. That's why they're targeting some of these areas, because it's been so telegraphed. This is where you just kind of sneak them in. And guess what? Suddenly they show up in the air. I'm with you. I I love your spirit, Francis. Bravo, bravo, bravo. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody. What should happen now as it is getting catastrophic to the point where people are dying of starvation? 
and Mariupol, one of the cities that has just been getting probably the biggest pounding from Russian forces. Is it time to get creative, to get the military hardware, as Francis suggests? one 800 And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. This is The Rita Cosby Show. Well, I would love to go my separate way from Vladimir Putin. I'm sure a lot of people would love to make sure he goes his own way, a one-way ticket. That would be really, really great. And boy, are things getting really dangerous and really tenuous when we hear these stories, these horrific stories of what's been happening in Ukraine. Uh, The refugee crisis is exploding, and as I mentioned, more than Three and a half million refugees, many of them children and women, going to many of the neighboring countries, including Poland. And coming up, by the way, in about 10 minutes here on the Rita Cosby Show, we are going to be talking to Archbishop Gabriel Kasha. He is the permanent observer of the Holy See to the U.N., basically the Vatican ambassador to the U.N., Uh, along with an ambassador from the Order of Malta, the two of them talking about some extraordinary things that they are doing to help Ukrainian refugees. And boy, do they need it, and boy, do they deserve all our love and support, but some extraordinary things that the Order of Malta and the Church is doing in so many ways to help millions upon millions of Ukrainian refugees around the world, and the role that faith is also playing and helping women and children and everybody get through this terrible, terrible ordeal. And that interview is going to be coming up in just about 10 minutes or so. And we also have our Support Our Heroes segment. That comes up in just a few minutes. And that is, of course, where we honor our great men and women in uniform, uh, our great military men and women. And I always love giving a shout out to them. And we're going to have a special segment coming up in just a few minutes. Speaking of special segments, earlier today, uh, we did a really amazing thing. We're going to be putting it up on Rita Cosby online And also on my Twitter feed, there's a little bit of a glimpse on my Twitter feed you'll be able to see. We did a panel, um, and I'll put the whole thing up. We videotaped the whole thing. We streamed it um, with uh, with our base station, 77 WABC in New York, the great 77 WABC, where we put together an extraordinary panel of the consul generals from Ukraine, from Poland, from Estonia, and from Slovakia, where they talked specifically about the needs of refugees, also the need to support Ukraine at this very pivotal moment. And it was an amazing, and lots of media came out and covered it. It was really an exclusive moment to have all these key players, especially on a day like today of this critical historic NATO meeting. And here's a little glimpse. This is from the Ukraine consul general talking about how they are not just fighting for their country, but basically for the world's freedom. But what happened since 24th of uh, February is change. Our minds is change world. And, uh, you know, my feeling that uh, the most barbaric we know it's now uh, Russian army didn't expect, even, even their Führer Putin did not expect uh, such a resilience from Ukrainian defenders. And uh, it is one month already 
our guys and uh, ladies in uniform bravely defending not only our land, not only Ukrainian territory, its independence and sovereignty, but also defending the Europe and defending, without any exaggeration, the world order that exists for so far. We are defending the world. Let's go to your calls real quick. Let's go to Karen, uh, who is on line four. Karen, your thoughts about all of this. I mean, think about what's at stake. And then we have a president who's like, well, sanctions, maybe they'll kick in. It. it I just want to hear him put a little fire in the belly, Karen, not just for us, but for he, the world. He's, he's, he's delusional. He's an embarrassment. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's got no plans about anything and when you ask him something, he doesn't know how to answer because he doesn't know how to answer it. It's like, I mean, in Congress, they're talking about daylight savings time with all this stuff that's going on in the world right now. By the way, you, know, know, what's, you know, know what's funny? that you, You're right, Karen. When you brought up the daylight savings time, when I thought, I'm thinking, oh, they have some big thing they're working on. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Talk about getting MiGs or talking about, you know, service to air missiles. These people are fighting for survival. They don't care about daylight savings time. We're going to talk a lot more with your calls, everybody, after the break here on The Rita Cosby Show. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, one of my favorite segments, I love that we do this every night because it honors are men and women in the military who have given so much. And today we are talking about a great honor that came to a Minnesota World War II veteran. And it happened yesterday. Arnold Zaratka, who is 96 years old of Montgomery, Minnesota, was given the Legion of Honor Medal by the French government. Arnold fought the Germans while serving in France. Now, the award is the highest distinction that the country of France gives to those who have achieved deeds for their country. And Arnold said, gosh, it is so amazing. Never did I ever think I would get something like that. It's really amazing how good people are all over. No matter the country, there are always good people. And the consul general of France said to Arnold, you are a true hero. Further said, thanks to you, I grew up in a free country. This medal and today's ceremony aims at marking France's eternal gratitude for the liberation of my country, France. And by the way, I was over in Normandy at the D-Day anniversary, the 75th anniversary, just sort of piggybacking on what here. One of the most amazing things I ever saw, I was standing next to a D-Day veteran and somebody there, a French citizen, came over, found out he was a D-Day veteran and was literally kissing his feet and saying, we would not be free if it was not for people like you. And for me to be able to see that, that was amazing. And it is so powerful, but it's so beautiful to see these countries that were freed by our heroes, appreciating them still now, so many years later, as they appropriately should. Well, faith and helping others really has been in the forefront of the humanitarian efforts that we have seen in an extraordinary fashion around the world. And front row and center is, of course, the Vatican, also the Order of Malta. And joining us now to talk about the efforts and what is happening on the humanitarian side and the message of peace 
is Archbishop Gabriel Kasha, and he is the permanent observer of the Holy See to the UN, and also His Excellency Dr. Paul Beresford Hill, the Order of Malta. Um, Archbishop Kasha, let me ask you about how important the role of faith has been, and what role do you think the Vatican could potentially play? I thought it was an extraordinary message when Pope Francis went over to the Russian embassy very early on. Where do you see the role of the Vatican playing now? Father, um, Pope Francis wrote uh, last year a beautiful encyclical letter entitled Fratelli Tutti, which means uh, we are all brothers and sisters, and we belong to the same human family. So I suppose that uh, looking at what is going on now in Ukraine, he suffered because it's not just the killing, but it's the destructions of this spirit of brotherhood, of social friendship, which could be so many beautiful things. So he tried always from the very beginning to talk and to open doors for a dialogue, which is now seems to be impossible, but there will be a moment in which everyone has to come to the table, sit down and recognize that there should be a way out. So the Holy See, the Pope, is stressing three points. First of all, to stop the war, immediate ceasefire. Second, open and respect human corridors, because there are so many children, women, elderly, people suffering, people without medicine, without food. He went two days ago in the hospital for children, and there were already children from Ukraine. And he said that he saw a child without arm. Was what the pain, innocent people, young people. So he stressed the third step, there should be a way, a human way, way to find a solution. And yesterday he added that uh, in war there is no victory. And that in war everything is lost. And war is nothing else than a self-destructive defeat of humanity. And so he called also all the Christians, but also the people of faith, this coming Friday, the 25th of March, the solemnity of the Annunciation, which is also so dear to the Orthodox churches, for a solemn act of consecration of humanity, especially Russia and Ukraine, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, so that she, the Queen of Peace, may help us obtain peace. This is the role. Only God can change the heart of people. And we pray that he will be at work even now. Yes, and, and as you talk about a very pivotal time um, with the, uh, the Feast of the Annunciation, we've seen the message of faith, and we've seen um, many people turning to faith during this very, very dark time that's been happening in the world. Um, I want to ask you, um, Your Excellency Dr. Paul Beresford Hill, the role of the Order of Malta, because you're an enormous organization and still also 
have organizations within Russia. It, in many ways, both of you are sort of uniquely qualified to maybe to touch the heart, if you will, maybe have some sort of an impact here in a tremendous, tremendous way. Uh, tell us about some of the great efforts that you're doing at this time in your organization um, with the Order of Malta and helping with humanitarian and spiritual and, and also the importance that you are still operating there in Russia. Thank you. Thank you, Rita. Um, it, this has been probably one of the most challenging times since the Second World War for, uh, for humanity. Um, what, what we have observed is a really amazing reaction and response on the part of just ordinary people who want to help, who want to put their faith and their belief in goodness into action. And uh, they do this by volunteering. We have seen um, along the border between Ukraine and European countries like Hungary, Poland, uh, Slovakia, um, other countries along the way, um, we have almost uh, 400,000 volunteers that, that, that we've identified, 400,000 volunteers who are there to help. That's who extraordinary. Were there, who are there to provide support, not only from the Order of Malta, but from numerous other organizations as well, including the Red Cross. And we work very closely with, with all of them to coordinate the service and the help that, that we offer. The thing that amazes me, um, and perhaps it shouldn't really, but, but I find it encouraging, is that so many of those volunteers are young people. They, they are students, many of them, who have decided to forego uh, the last semester of their college and uh, maybe prolong their graduation until the summer or whatever. They've decided to give their time, their effort, their energy and their heart and soul to helping the less fortunate. What a beautiful message and what an important message, too. Do you also hope by also continuing to operate in your vast network, as you talk about, I mean, that's an enormous network. Do you hope that maybe somehow that message may relate to uh, to the folks in Russia, too, as well, to maybe somehow bring about this message of peace? Well, we have to remember that there are people of faith in Russia also. Tremendously, yes, uh, there are. And, and, and it is a, a very, uh, there are so many uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, Russian saints um, and, and, and spiritual advisors and leaders uh, we have an uh, Order of Malta um, office in uh, Russia. We have diplomatic relations with uh, the Russian Federation. Uh, and we also have uh, people in uh, Moscow and in St. Petersburg. We run soup kitchens. We run centers for the homeless in Russia. Uh, we do the kind of work there that we do all over the world. Uh, we try and find a need. We try and find an area where our our mission to our citizens, who are the, the forgotten people, where we find the forgotten people and where we work to help them and to bring them through into a better life. And we do this in Russia. We do this in Ukraine. We do this all over the world. Clearly, um, Russia is going through a crisis. Uh, and we can only pray, as indeed the Holy Father and Archbishop Katya has said, we can only pray um, that our Blessed Lady and, 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 uh, and the goodness of, of humanity will prevail.
uh, and that peace and some kind of negotiated settlement will resolve the immediate problem. But for now, while there is suffering, um, I am absolutely certain that there are even more people who want to help alleviate that suffering. Uh, and that in its own way is an expression of faith. And the need is so tremendous, as you've seen, of as you talk about the offices in Ukraine. Many of us have seen those images, but you're getting firsthand accounts from your many volunteers. How tremendous is the need and the suffering of the Ukrainian people to the vast number of refugees? Indeed. And, you know, there are there are supplementary problems as a, as a consequence of this. And one of the big ones that, that we're dealing with as, as best we can is the issue of human trafficking. Uh, that is a major problem. Even now the United Nations has uh, issued a number of statements uh, from the Secretary General's office uh, alerting the world to the fact that this is something which really does need to be, to be attended to. Uh, when you have, you know, millions of people crossing over borders, uncertain, afraid, scared, many of them, majority, women and children, uh, you have a, a, a prime opportunity for the, the bad guys uh, to want to step in there and exploit the pain and the suffering. Absolutely. Well, bravo to both of you in everything you are doing. And as you talk about, um, you know, there were 10 million, as we know, uh, basically displaced within Ukraine, mm. 3.5 going to different borders and so many people suffering around the world. And uh, wonderful to have both of you. It's a tremendous honor and keep up the beautiful work because uh, faith is so important, especially right now, always. Thank always. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And let us pray for peace. Yes. <laughs> for sure. Thank you. Even those who are listening to us, please do that tomorrow. The Holy Father will perform this act of consecration 5 o'clock p.m. Rome time, which is uh, noon tomorrow here in the States and also in St. Patrick's uh, Cathedral in New York. There will be the Cardinal Dolan doing this act of consecration. Please very come. important. Thank you very much. Bless you both. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful to have them and hear about their mission of faith and what they are doing to help so many Ukrainian refugees all over the world and giving them inspiration and giving them faith. So, boy, to me, that is such an important, important message. Let's go to William in, let's see, he's on line six. Go ahead, William. You're here on the Rita Cosby Show. Oh, hey, Rita. Um, what, a, what a great show. Uh, you know, my question is, where are these, like, rock star entertainers that had made copious amounts of money in Europe and have huge amounts of money? I mean, Billy Joel ponied up a lot of money. And, like, like the Rolling Stones, McCartney, Bruce Sting, Bon Jovi, all those people that are dying in Maripol, these guys could get together and raise an enormous amount of money where that money could go to Poland and then they could fortify these people with food. Actually, that's a great point. You know, by the way, some people have ponied up. Um, in fact, one of the people who I, I was thinking about, William, when you were talking about it just now, Mila Kunis. Remember, she's the one who she's the actress, the, the beautiful actress who's married to Ashton Kutcher, another actor. She is actually Ukrainian. Uh, so she, a Ukrainian descent, and I know uh, I've seen they raise like a huge amount of money, tons of money. But you're right. There needs to be more of them doing this because it is important 
put their money where their mouth is, you know, and get it there Absolutely. right away. But there, but there are there are a number of people that are actually doing some really extraordinary efforts um, to make a difference, to be able to raise funds, to be able to raise awareness. Um, you know, uh, th- by the way, this, um, you know, the show is distributed by Red Apple Media and the owner of Red Apple Media, John Katsimatidis and his wife, Margot Katsimatidis. They're some of the greatest humanitarians. And uh, if you go to WABCradio.com forward slash donate, uh, they're actually doing a huge fundraising drive that all of us, many of us are on the radio here are a part of. So there's a lot of great efforts out there. But you're right. The more, the better, because the need is unbelievable. I mean, William, when you hear that 4.3 million kids are displaced in a, in one month time, I mean, that's staggering. And the hammering by those Russian missiles and all those things keep coming. They, they are continuing to do that. So this need is not going to go away. This is just sort of the tip of the iceberg. And boy, is that scary. You think about just the implications of not just in, in Ukraine, but around the world. Um, but great call. And I agree with you. Everybody needs to do whatever they can to step up. Great, great call. And also today, one of the things that we did hear from President Biden and his, you know, sort of lackadaisical, you know, messages that were coming from NATO. Uh, one of the things he did say was that 100,000 uh, refugees from Ukraine will be coming and will be allowed to enter into the United States Thank goodness. You know, we've talked about that border, that porous southern border. Think about these people really do deserve to come in. There really is a need. These are people who appreciate freedom. These are people who appreciate, you know, values. And boy, if there's, you know, a message of hardship, there's not a question that they're leaving a war-torn country. My goodness, you just look at one image there. Um, So I was happy at least to see that he's saying, by the way, in the last month that crossed the southern border, over 200,000 crossed the border. So I actually think, you know, let's maybe do a little bit better job at vetting those that are crossing the southern border. And maybe if you want to put in a lot of people in this country, give it to the Ukrainian refugees. My goodness, not the drug traffickers that happen to slip through the southern border. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, as we're talking about the tremendous need of what's going on, the human catastrophe that is happening. How do we stop it? Can President Biden, does he have the ability to be able to stop it? And what do you think about now that he is saying 100,000 Ukrainian refugees that he will be allowing them into the United States? Is that appropriate or should there be? a heck of a lot more. I say vet that southern border a lot more, bring in more of the Ukrainian refugees. What do you think, guys? 1-800-848-9222. It's the Rita Cosby Show. And we are talking about President Biden's really kind of lackluster quote, emergency meeting that took place in NATO with not a lot of results. One of the things, though, that he did say is that they are planning to now bring in, allow 100,000 Ukrainian refugees to come to the United States. I think that's a very appropriate number, if not even more. I mean, you look at the southern border, guys. Look at how many numbers were crossing the southern border in the last year Plus, since this president has been in office and it is skyrocketing over 200,000 last month. So in comparison, I say, heck, yes, I don't like our open border. 
but I think people who are genuinely fleeing and want to contribute to this great country and appreciate the values of freedom, I say heck yeah to them. Uh, by the way, I always love reading your comments, too, also that you send on social media. You can send it to me on Twitter, at Rita Cosby, and always love reading your comments that way or your phone calls, guys, 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. And I want to read one of the comments here from John Zenko saying it's time for NATO to tell Putin that they are going to supply the Ukrainian cities, such as Mariupol, humanitarian aid in the form of food and medical supplies, and that the Russian military better not stop them. I say bravo, John. I agree with you. We have to get them the aid. Also, uh, Sal says, Rita, is it my imagination or are Biden and NATO not sure whether or not the Ukrainian should win so that Putin can save face and have a way out? I hope that I'm wrong. I agree with you. You know, there was a report earlier tonight, and I was seeing it, that General Jack Keane, who we've had here on the show. I love General Jack Keane. I've known him for years. And he said that he is getting intelligence that there are private conversations that Biden is trying to maybe push Zelensky into some sort of surrender. What are you kidding me? They are actually making enormous strides right now. Surrender? Surrender to Putin? You're blowing up his ship. You're, you're, you're. Killing, according to reports, 15,000 Russian troops. Where's the surrender? Give them more military hardware. Let's have Putin surrender. Well, earlier today, we did this amazing panel. Um, And again, we're going to put some clips of it on uh, RitaCosbyOnline.com in the next day or so. It was amazing. And we talked to the Ukrainian consul general based here in New York City. And he said, you know what? We're not surrendering. Surrender is not in the Ukrainian dialogue. Bravo, bravo, bravo. And here's a little bit of what he had to say when he talked with us. So we, we will do our best. We will not surrender. We will not give up. But we need help. We need help now in military provisions. Some, some say uh, Ukraine might get only defensive weapons. Let us be frank. All the weapons that are used now by Ukraine defensive in its nature. If we are defending our land, all that we can get from the world community, from our friends, would be not an attacking, would be just defensive weaponry. Yeah, how is it not defending? I would think that it's pretty clear that Putin was the aggressor and they're just defending their land, their people, their children. So you're right. Everything should fall under the category of defensive weapons. No doubt about that. Let's go to Jimmy, who is on line six. Jimmy, your thoughts about this. When I was a kid, I came across a, I came across a quote that stuck with me forever. Something like, he who is not in, involved in the events of his day will be judged to not have lived I made sure I was involved in everything. This is a war of immense importance where everybody could get involved, not just watch history, but be part of it. Everybody, we can't all pick up guns and go there and help. I wish we could, but we could raise money. We could raise awareness. We could show the Ukrainian people how they're fighting for for planet Earth, basically. It is that serious. Everybody could get involved on some level. Jimmy, I love your spirit, Jimmy. Uh, you are amazing. You're a great patron. You're right. However we can do to help, 
It is pivotal. They are good people and they're fighting for freedom. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 